Tom, are you okay? I lost her. Her? She was going to be this epic, trilogy-worthy character. I was going to be the hottest writer in Hollywood. But I can't get past Act One! You need some writer's group therapy. Hello, and welcome to Writer's Group Therapy. I'm Tom. And I'm Roshni. We're writers helping writers. Are you ready for your session? The doctors are in. And make sure you check us out online at writersgrouptherapy.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at WG Therapy individually. I'm Tom underscore Loveman on Twitter and Tom Loveman on Instagram. And I am at Moon Lily Music on Instagram and at Roshni Lumino on Twitter. Guess what, Tom? Oh, what? A new Star Wars trailer dropped. Oh, my God. But we are not going to talk about that today. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, we, we have to dissect that some more. So next time. Yes, because we, we are kind of okay. overdue for a Star Wars episode, yeah. right? We haven't yeah. talked about it enough this year. <laughs> but there's, we have, since uh, we're going to our new format, we have a lot to talk about today. A lot to unpack. A lot's been happening. Yeah, so uh, I looked up what the WGA thing has been going on with the agencies, and uh, it's it's heated up. It's uh, in August the the WGA and the agencies kind of like gave up, and and then the WGA charged the uh, they filed charges in federal court against the agencies um, for racketeering and antitrust. It's getting like real like uh, Al Capone style now. <laughs> I know it's weird. It's because it kind of felt like for a while they just sort of all had this uneasy truce and buried the hatchet and some agencies were even like we stand with the wga and we're gonna sign your your agreement and everything and so mm-hmm. it was like everything was gonna be happy and then all of a sudden it was like wham you know like this kind of came out of left field i think I yeah um uh, two smaller agencies bookwald and kaplan staller are signed on to the wga code of conduct they they're most from what i read they're mostly just like talent for you know literary agents just representing writers so they don't have the big you know you know, what do you call it? A roster of, you know, directors and actors that they're all trying to package. So they don't care that Mm -hmm. much about it. So they signed on. Some people thought like as soon as some of the smaller agencies signed on, there would kind of be a ripple effect. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. So I feel like we've kind of just hit the hit a hit the brakes while this thing goes through the courts now. So I mean, racketeering and antitrust if that goes through and the courts, I mean, let's just conjecture here because we're obviously a disclaimer. We're not in the rooms. We're not listening to the discussions and we're not legal people. But if it did go through the courts and the courts decide in favor and said, yeah, you're guilty of racketeering and antitrust, what happens to the agencies? Do they dismantle them or like slap on the hand? I mean, that's a pretty big charge. Well, antitrust in general would just be, you know, like when one company owns too many parts of one industry. And they, they can kind of corner their market. Like if you want to buy our widgets, you, you, don't, you have to buy the widgets from us because we sell the parts that make the widgets and the sales you know, system for the widgets and the software for the widgets. So they kind of control everything. So if you control the directors, the actors, the producers, the, the studios, you can kind of like tell like a writer, well, if you want to you know, sell the script, you're going to have to you know, let us do this packaging deal. And so we can make money you know, off of the deal versus just off of representing you. Mm-hmm. So that's where that comes in. So you, it'd kind of be like they'd have to divide up. So whereas some of the the big agencies want to be technically producers, you know, mm-hmm. they could they could have a production company, but they they have to sep- they'd have to separate it from their you know talent agency or their literary agency. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, it's that's kind of what you know. There's that's kind of what the whole code of conduct was in the first place. Is like if you want to be a, a, a an agency that represents writers, be an agency that represents writers. But yeah. Don't make a don't force us into into deals that that aren't in our best interest because you have these other business you know sectors in your company. Yeah, because all it is is just major major conflict of interest by signing yeah. on and doing all of it. Yeah. So do you right. think they would just dismantle the companies? Like be like, okay, you are only a talent agency and you're only a production company and never the two shall meet? Or do you think it would be like, do you think it would really like hurt the big agencies, the big four? I don't know. And the, here's the thing is, I don't know that it would ever come to that because, you know, you look at the politics right now and the the courts and they've been very corporate sided lately. They've been letting a lot of these giant mergers go through mm-hmm. these, you know, multi-billion dollar mergers and the tech con- the, uh, communications industry, the technology industry. And uh, they really haven't, you know, they're in very anti-labor in Washington at the moment, it seems. So and that's what the WG is. It's a union. Yeah. So I, I I'm not sure what would happen if 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 it did come to that. Um, I mean, that's what I would expect is that you you know if they want to keep those various businesses, they'd have to kind of somehow firewall them off so that you know the agents working for the writers were not affected by you know agents working for directors or producers that you know and and how they're connected to the studio. I just also read that the the big agencies are skipping the the parties for the Emmys this year. Mm-hmm. Because it would be really weird if, you know, they were throwing a party that honors the writers that they're in a fight with. (laughs) It would be very odd. So, and actually, I think CAA, uh, they donated the money that they were going to spend on on parties to a legal defense fund. Um, That was actually, that was before, they did that before, but they're, um, Mm -hmm. oh, it's the Motion Picture and Television Fund um, for, you know, people in trying circumstances in the community. It's actually a really good, you know, a charity that they do a lot of work. They gave away $3 million last year uh, in 34 states for people in need. So it's really cool. But uh, yeah, but it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of hard to be mad at them for being so charitable. But the reason behind that is that they're not throwing a big party for everybody. Yeah. But I mean, right now too, when you think about it with the big four as well, um, they're not necessarily hurting because yes, the writers they don't have the writers right now, but they still have actors and producers and directors that they're, well, maybe not producers, but definitely directors and actors that they're representing. You know what I mean? So they're still getting funds that way. But if all of the other, like if, you know, like the Directors Guild and like SAG-AFTRA were suddenly like, by the way, we're also taking our clients, then they'd be like, oh my gosh, we really got to look at this. So right now they're only losing like, what, a third of their clients, but it could, you know, who knows how to ripple down? I think any any contracts that were in place are still valid. So they still have their deals from before this all mm-hmm. happened. They can't make any new deals, but the old deals have to stand, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Until they run out. Interesting. Said so we did have a speaker recently and she was great. What kind of oh, things yeah. did you pick up from, from her talk? Um, well, <laughs> we I, share I, with the group. I, I was really interested in how she talked about, you know, the kinds of um, stories that she's interested in telling and how mm-hmm. she's really in the diversity, you know, making them less about, you know, uh, you know, silly, you know, high school romance type stuff and, and also uh, trying to make them more diverse. Because, you know, we, we thought back on like the 90s and how very, very white the Disney Channel was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that was one thing. So as an example, she mentioned, you know, like, 
she wants to see like refugee stories or border town stories or something like that. And I was thinking about it afterwards and I'm like, well, I'm, you know, I don't have that experience. I grew up in the Midwest. I lived a pretty charmed life. But I think at the crux of what she was saying is personal stories with diversity. You know, you have a personal story. Mm-hmm. I have a personal story. Instead of trying to make it this generic kind of, you know, bland that you think will appeal to the masses, make it very personal. And somehow that'll actually stand out even more. Yeah, I was trying to figure out how to... um repackage reclamation for the disney <laughs> channel can we skew it younger can we make cassie a, a younger uh, uh, like genius in space or something uh, try uh, i'm gonna look at it we'll see maybe she's trying to find her kid sister i don't know mm-hmm. i don't know but well, yeah um she brought up uh xenon in the 21st century which was a, a mm-hmm. disney i know if it was i think it was a series of movies I remember seeing one where it was kind of corny. The kids were on a space station and, mm-hmm. and you know, almost destroying it and then saving the day. And, and I'm like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a real light version of reclamation, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you think about it, and she didn't, she didn't say this. This is just my conjecture. But really, every story has already been written, honestly, at this point. So it's just sure. a way of finding a new and personal spin on it, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. She also talked about like uh, writing things that were off type, like, you know, like mm-hmm. typical, you know, you have Hannah Montana, you had, uh, uh, what's her name? Lizzie McGuire. You had, um, what was the other one? The, all the perky little, you know, uh, you know, perfect, you know, bodies, perfect, you know, looks kind of thing. Cause mm-hmm. she felt like that wasn't realistic. Mm, yeah. Kind of like yeah. the Mindy Kaling, you know, kind of like, uh, her stuff is all, you know, kind of, it's great stories, you know, but, you know, you don't have to write it for casting it in, in such a way that, you know, is so narrow focused. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was really, it was really good. Really good. She very much champions diversity. I think of thought and of like look. So that was really, that mm-hmm. was good. Yeah. yeah. So what upcoming projects do you have? What's coming up with you? Well, uh, we've got uh, Plan P Live coming up, Attack of the Giant Leeches. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, September 28th at the Complex in Hollywood. Um, I wrote some jokes uh, for uh, the leeches. And uh, <laughs> it's a Roger Corman uh, 1959 uh, black and white uh, kind of horror movie about some giant leeches in a swamp that um, start attacking people. And it's really funny. And we're going to have three giant leeches in the theater, giving live commentary. Uh, there's three shows at seven, nine, and eleven. It's uh, thirty bucks. Tickets are at PlanPLive.com. Nice, nice. Yeah. So on my end, uh, so excited. Finally finished writing dun, dun, dun. everything for Expat. Expat. Yeah. Woo-hoo. Yeah. That's how yes. exhausted I am from all the writing. I'm like, what's the name of my show again? <laughs> so we're in production for it right now. Yeah. Great I know cast. you've been crank- yeah. cranking on it. Yeah. yeah. Great cast. And I'm so excited to hear it all turn out. When do so. you start recording? Uh, later this month. In September. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And then that doesn't, well, that'll be coming out in January, you said probably. No, we're aiming for March 17. Oh, oh okay. So yeah. hold on there. Hopefully I get some teasers or something soon. Oh, yeah. Start, start promoting it, marketing it. Cool. Yeah, I'm very excited about yeah. that. So, mm-hmm. so, um, kind of was wondering, so you putting this whole thing together, you're producing it, you wrote it, you're directing it. Are you directing it? No, no, I'm not directing it. Okay. Um, but you had to get a lot of people involved. So yes. when you're trying to do that, 
how do you get people to do stuff for you? <laughs> how do you how do you ask people to do stuff? You know, to get how do you ask for things? How, you know, that's always been my problem. Is I I don't I'm not good about just saying hey help me do something for me. You know, it's funny because I think a lot of times, especially for women, we're afraid to ask, but people ask us stuff all the time, and we're like, okay, yeah, you know, a lot of this because so, this is deferred. And so a lot of it, people are going to have to do it just because they want to do it for the love and, you know, something for their real. Um, my hope is that uh, we're launching a Patreon to go with it. And then from the Patreon, I want to pay them for season one and then continue on. So like, that's the hope. Are you going to look for sponsors as well? Uh, not right away. Cause I want to see what the reaction is for it and then okay. see what, you know, sponsors kind of come up from it. I think a lot of times with asking for something, you know, a lot of times it's just don't, don't ask for too much. Sometimes I feel like if you yeah. if you don't know the person very well and they offer something, don't, don't ask them for too much and don't expect too much. Like it's cool if it comes back to you, but don't be like, like as an example, when people, you know, offer to read my pages. I'll send them some stuff and I'll be like, cool. And then I'll check back with them in a few weeks. And if they've read it, great. And if not, I'm like, as much time as you need. But I'm not like needling them like, hey, have you read it? Have you read it? What do you think? You know, because they got lives too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. It's like, yeah, you know, first of all, yeah. Think about what you're asking for. How much commitment are you asking for someone for something? Mm-hmm. But usually I find if you ask someone for advice, you know, they're usually pretty generous as long as it's not, you know, hours of time but um like i just went to the creator society uh recently i have our oh, monthly yeah. mixers and uh, i became a member i'm a member of the creator society which is an animation uh, networking group in uh hollywood and uh there's writers and directors and producers and artists and all kinds of people involved it's really cool and uh i met a lot of people you know we shared business cards and uh some of them are at you know pretty cool companies one i met who's at bento box which is uh the company that does bob's burgers which is a favorite of mine so, you know, I was like asking him all kinds of questions and he was, you know, and I was asking him like things like, well, you know, how did you get started in the business? What would you tell writers to do? And uh, actually, I'm going to hopefully have him come to our writers group meeting. Uh, that would so, be great. In, yeah. In the future. Yeah. But, you know, if you're just in a casual setting like that, just, you know, hey, I've got a question. I've got some advice. All right. Can, can I get some advice from you? And they're usually really, you know, generous because they're just there. They're there to do that. That's networking. And then, you know, if they give you their card and they say, hey, let's connect online or, you know then, you know, you can maybe ask them for a little more, you know, uh, help or a little more mentorship. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't go, you know, too crazy, like, hey, give me a job. You know, I would never do that. Yeah. Unless, unless, you know, it came up in conversation, like, what are you doing right now? It's like, well, I'm doing this, but I've been looking for something like that, you know, and that's kind of a subtle way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think a lot of, I mean, and this kind of goes back into networking, which we've talked about before, but I think too, when if if your ultimate goal is to like get a job or you know get somewhere with a connection that you've made you're better off trying to make them your friend than like asking for it immediately some of my some of my mentors turned into really good friends and then it ended up they would offer me you know job advice or tell me about job leads or something like that but it all started from like a casual thing where i think i would email them and be like Hey, I saw this this article that you wrote and you know, can you tell me what your thoughts are behind it? You know, it's just like casual conversation and just taking an interest yeah. in their life. Oh. Well, um at the event I just went to, I saw a couple of the people who have come to our writers group and spoken already. So I've seen them three or four times now at different places and you kind of 
you know, they know who you are, they know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's more casual. You don't, you don't have that, like, um, you know, standoffishness, like somebody who's in the industry who, um, you know, they know you're, you're cool. You're not going to like hit them up for anything big. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're much more relaxed. Like, Oh yeah. Say hi to Roshni for me. Cause you weren't there. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, they're very, they're very congenial and they're very nice. And, you know, like I said, uh, uh, like one of them, I actually am trying to work on a pitch book for a animated show. Um, you know, I just shot him an email and said, Hey, you know, I, I got a, an opportunity to pitch this to another studio. Um, you know, they say doing, you know, a beat book is the best way to go. What do you think? And he was like, yeah, that's definitely the best way to go. Make sure you do it this way and don't put too much time or money into it, you know, and like gave me some good guidelines for how I should approach it, mm. you know, and it was just really, it was, you know, it wasn't anything that was going to take him a lot of time, you know, probably took him a minute or two to write the email, but it was, you know, great to, you know, I showed him that I'm working on stuff that I'm, and that I'm receptive to advice and that. I respect his, you know, time because I didn't ask him a lot. Mm -hmm. I just asked him a couple short questions. That was what I was trying to remember. Thank you, Tom. You you jogged my memory. But one of my my mentors turned friends. That was actually his best piece of advice to me. Was if you're trying to impress somebody, when they give you advice, take it and then go back and show them that you took their advice. So ah, you, you yeah. totally provided that as an example. That's exactly it. Yeah. yeah. But it's true because no, it's like if they're going to take yeah. even like that five seconds to invest in you, you need to show them that it mattered and it meant something, you know, that you weren't like, oh, that's great. I'll just do whatever mm -hmm. I want. But that you actually took it to heart. No, it's been, you know, being in our writers group and uh, doing this podcast, we've really had a great chance to meet a lot of people. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the best advice is you have to get out and meet people because that's how you make connections. And then, then, you know, you kind of build that network of people who will, are willing to, you know, just, you know, let you bend their ear a little bit yeah. and eventually might, might be someone who says, Hey, come on, I want you to work on a project with me. Or, um, I know a guy who's looking for someone who you can, you know, maybe you can work with. So that's the kind of, you know, the relationships you build and just being genuine about it and not being overly like needy, you know, like, Oh, you have to help me. You have to help me. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking yeah. of really great people, we just randomly met, ah. we have an interview with Grant Moran coming up. Welcome. Hi, Grant. Thank you guys so much. It's so great to be speaking with you. Yay. So he is an animation writer and producer. He's done a lot. He's taught a lot of places and he's also the founder of a group called kids entertainment professionals for young refugees or Keeper, which is actually very fascinating. So we want to talk to you about all of it. Great. All right. <laughs> well, let's start with your with your writing. Um, so how long have you been doing animation writing, and uh, what are some of the, the things we might know you from? Well, I started in the, uh, in the early 90s. I think my very first assignment may have been on Bobby's World. Uh, wow. And, um, and yeah. Yeah, uh, I got... You know, that was my first produced, I think, assignment, but I, I did some development work at uh, Warner Brothers Animation in the early 90s. Um, a, a live action spec script of mine had uh, gotten into the hands of Tom Ruger there. And, uh, and even though it was not an animation script, he reached out to me and asked me if I'd ever thought about writing animation. And I was so green at that point um, that I didn't even know there were writers in animation. Uh, so... Uh, <laughs> And, but um, so he started um, kind of like showing me the ropes and giving me a few kind of like test assignments and a little development work here and there. So I actually did some early development work on the Batman series, for instance, and uh, 
there was a primetime Wiley Coyote series they were developing that they uh, had me work on. And uh, uh, then eventually that led to uh, a couple of assignments on, um, on Tiny Toons. And then I did some development work on Animaniacs. And, um, yeah, and then meanwhile, I was getting my own assignments. And I think Bobby's World was probably my first produced assignment. But um, then around 1993 or four, I went on staff at Warner Brothers Animation full time. Um, and stayed there through wow. 1999 or 2000, working on a whole bunch of stuff, uh, wow. yeah. like Tiny Toons and Sylvester and Tweety Mysteries and um, a lot of development work. I did a lot of development for them, and that's sort of the through line in my whole career before I even got into um, animation uh, writing or writing at all. I was, uh, I was uh, someone in theater, um, professional theater, who developed new plays with playwrights. So I'd been doing that for... Huh. 10 years in professional theater developing new plays. Uh, and um, so uh, that's sort of always been in my blood, kind of working with other people and helping them kind of like, I, you know, I say I, it's kind of like being a midwife. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I, 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 help, I help people give birth to this thing they're trying to create, um, uh, yeah, which involves just a lot of listening and kind of like getting inside the, the creator's head and trying to understand what they're trying to do and helping them do it. Can I just say you have made my childhood heart so happy. Those were all the shows I loved growing up. So <laughs> you are awesome. You are so well, awesome. <laughs> I, can't take, I can't take very much credit for any of them, except that I was lucky enough to get a chance to kind of touch greatness uh, by being allowed to kind of play briefly with, uh, with a bunch of those things. Uh, what what drew you to animation? I mean, was it kind of happenstance, or you said you you were you wrote a spec actually? Yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, the I mean, I was the thing that drew me to writing at all was just I I'd been you know doing this development work in theater for ten years and enjoying it tremendously. I never could conceive of doing anything else. And then my wife and I decided we wanted to have children. And I finally realized for the very first time that I had never made a dime in my life. <laughs> oh, wow. And I thought, hmm, well, life's, you know, it's, you've been having a lot of fun and enjoying your work, but, you know, there really is not a whole lot of money in theater, even professional theater. Uh, and so I thought maybe it was time to try my own hand at writing. And here I was in Los Angeles. So I started specking uh, live action, you know, television uh, scripts. And, um, uh, like I said, I never had any thought of, about animation at all. It didn't even occur to me that was a possible profession. Um, but I, you know, one of the first scripts I specced was uh, The Wonder Years. And, wow. Uh, and that, that was the script that ended up in, in Tom Ruger's, um, on his desk. Uh, and uh, he read it and uh, thought that it showed something. I don't know what he was thinking, <laughs> but, uh, but he reached out to me and sort of, he's sort of the guy who started my career for me. Cool. That is awesome. And I'm looking at your resume and you've done a lot with Mattel as well. Yeah, recently I have. I just developed uh, for them the first, believe it or not, the first ever Barbie animated television series. I mean, that sounds incredible, doesn't it? I mean, she's been with us for 60 years and she's never had her own TV series. Uh, it's going to be one of the last of the great classic kids uh toy icons that has never yeah, she, uh, they gave her a ton of like straight to video projects Absolutely. i think didn't they yeah so that's that one show they, yeah yeah millions of those um in fact there are more barbie um long forms than there are james bond movies 
Wow. And I will so, admit to watching it because a friend of mine got me into them. So I do know the show. Yeah. <laughs> how, uh, how fun. But, uh, but then they finally decided they wanted to do a series for Netflix. And uh, they hired me to develop that. And then I was the uh, head writer on that project. Wait, is, awesome. is this a James Bond Barbie show? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds pretty cool, actually. I think, we, I think we're on to something here. Really? Like Double O Barbie. <laughs> so you're still doing the animation writing or are you full time now into your nonprofit? No, no, no. I'm still uh, very much doing my uh my animation writing and producing um, you know, the nonprofit keeper is an all volunteer organization. So uh, we take pride in the fact and want people to know that nobody associated with keeper makes a penny from anything we do. Uh, we are affiliated with UNICEF. So they are the beneficiary of everything we do. Oh, wow. So tell us more about this organization. Like how did you get involved and what was the inspiration for it and everything? Um, like a lot of us, I was sitting around in 2016 and starting to see, you know, pictures and reports of, you know, uh, little bodies washing up on beaches in the Mediterranean because of the Syrian refugee crisis. And it just, it just really, you know, punched my heart. Uh, and I, uh, I, I started looking into the issue uh, more because of that. And I realized that the Syrian refugee crisis was just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, we're currently living through the greatest child refugee catastrophe worldwide since World War II. Wow. Um, one out of every 200 children on the planet today is a refugee. That's over 50 million children worldwide. It's, it's a humanitarian disaster. And, um, uh, and I started looking around for once, once the enormity of it became clear to me, I started looking around for some way that I could like multiply my measly, well, whatever, hundred bucks that I could like give to somebody doing something about this problem. Uh, I thought there clearly must be something in the kids entertainment um, industry where we're all kind of like putting our little hundred bucks, 50 bucks together so that we can make a bigger contribution, you know, as a, as a group and uh, was sort of thunderstruck that uh, it turned out there was no such group. There was no way on a grassroots level for average people who make their living through kids entertainment to kind of go to one place to learn about the crisis and then with a simple click uh, to make a donation of any amount uh, directly to UNICEF with, as I said, not a penny going to Keeper. Um, and so um, I just thought, I, I've known people in this business for, you know, 30 years now. And I just had a very strong feeling that if more people knew what I knew, um, who do what we do for a living, uh, it would be a, a very simple matter if you gave them an easy way to, to do something about it. It'd be a very simple thing to kind of galvanize support for that cause. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. So, so all the people in the organization, I mean, they don't all have to be in the entertainment business, but most of them are. Yeah, we have almost 400 people on four continents um, who are uh, supporters, and we are growing all the time. Um, so much so that uh, we now have to, uh, uh, we, we have not been a nonprofit until this point because there was no, no need for us to be because anyone who made any kind of a contribution, as I said, it's, it all goes directly to UNICEF. So um, we're just a volunteer organization sort of educating the industry about the, the scope and scale of this crisis. And then through our CrowdRise portal, uh, just giving people a very simple way to make a donation and kind of, you know, stand together as a professional community 
uh, you know, for you know the most vulnerable of the people that we go to work for every day. Wow. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. And it's K-E-P-Y-R.org, keeper.org. Yes. If you got, you want to check that out. Yeah. yeah. So how, cool. how are writers able to get involved? I mean, is it just like an awareness thing or do people actually like create things to, do you know what I'm saying? Like create things to help foster awareness or like go visit the children or like that's how hands on? That's a great question. So yes, uh, we have... We have artists, writers, voice actors, executives, distributors, production people, you know, people from every and games, feature animation, TV animation, uh, publishing, you know, anything to do with kids entertainment. Um, that's that's what we see as like this is our community. Um, and uh, but as I said, we're all volunteer and it just started with like me starting to call up a few friends and then a few of them calling up their friends. Uh, and uh, because it's all volunteer and people have very busy lives and they have families and there's only so much you can ask of people, I thought from the beginning that we should try and you know, really um, limit what we were trying to do so that we could do something well, as opposed to trying to spread ourselves too thin and do 10 things you know, not so well. So for the first two years, uh, all we have done is uh, we sponsor an online fundraiser for UNICEF for two weeks in the month of June. Um, and uh, uh, June 20th every year is uh, is World Refugee Day. So we piggyback on a lot of the publicity uh, surrounding that. Uh, and we just do a massive online campaign reaching out to everyone in our business around the world um, to, again, make them aware of the issue and then to give them this very simple way to go to the, the CrowdRise site and make a, a donation. Well, it, that's now gotten so that's been so successful and so many people have come out of the woodwork uh, hope, trying to support wanting to support us that uh, we're now starting for the first time to do more than just that one thing so for instance breaking news for your audience this is Ooh. this is an, an exclusive, exclusive scoop yeah. oh boy we are producing at the comedy store on the sunset strip on october 20th a night of stand-up comedy, uh, headlining Patton Oswalt. Oh, uh, wow. Cool. And so the idea was we wanted to assemble a, 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 a group of performers who have thriving stand-up careers, but who also have a significant footprint in kids and family entertainment. So uh, Patton was someone that a few of us had worked with on Word Girl, uh, on PBS, and so we knew him through that, and um, reached out to him, and God bless him. He said, "Count me in; I'll be there." So wow. uh, we're putting together just an amazing, amazing lineup of of talent, and uh, that's October twentieth at the Comedy Store, um, and we will publicity will uh, you know begin in earnest for that in uh, mid awesome. mid September, but it's going to be just an amazing night. Cool. Can people Wonderful. buy tickets through keeper.org or look at the comedy yeah. store or? Uh, people are going to, uh, the, interestingly, UNICEF, who have been, by the way, great to work with, I should, I should say. They're the first people I reached out to because I thought uh, global kids entertainment business, global kids catastrophe. How about we then find what is the global, you know, brand, you know, big brand name in global children's philanthropy? Um, and so they were the first people I, I contacted, uh, and uh, they they are absolutely 
thrilled with this idea. There's never been a grassroots attempt before to organize people who work in our business uh, to support the work they do. Um, so um, uh, they actually have their own ticketing site. So ticketing is going to be through UNICEF's you know, proprietary ticketing site, another way that people can be assured uh, that uh, you know, every cent of the, the, the money they pay for their tickets is going directly to UNICEF. And again, the keeper does not, you know, Keeper does not wow. a penny from any of this. Are, is there any chance this is going to be like recorded or televised? Or well, well, we're hoping to do that. This is the first time we're doing it, uh, and uh, again, because our bandwidth is a little bit limited, we uh, we have a core group of just about uh, maybe you know fifteen to twenty you know uh, volunteers, and the rest of the you know four hundred supporters around the world are people who have donated to us or you know have helped us in 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 other ways. But the people who actually make this organization work and devote their time on a regular basis, whether it's for graphics or managing social media or, or you know now uh, we have you know a woman who just approached us six months ago with this idea to do the comedy show. She's producing that. Um, it's uh, that's. That's sort of the way you know, we work on this very kind of like shoestring sort of uh, basis. So uh, I think organizing, while that's, while that's the plan long term, because we intend this to be a yearly event at the Comedy Store, uh, this year I think it was all we could do to kind of just, again, organize this one event well. So we're kind of, yeah. you know, we're getting our feet wet and learning as we go along. Luckily, the woman who uh, who approached us, her name is Aurora Simkovich. She's an animation writer. Um, she, her background before starting in this business was as a manager of comedy clubs in San Francisco. So oh, she, knows, <laughs> she knows the world, you know, she knows the world of, of clubs and stand-ups and everything. Uh, and uh, and so uh, she was you know, the perfect person to uh, to kind of well, that's great. Uh, take on this project for us. Yeah. So it, it, what do writers do? I mean, getting back to your original question, you know, there's a you know, there have been writers. Um, uh, there are writers who are part of that core group of volunteers who do a lot of stuff for us. Um, there is a, a writer uh, and dear friend of mine uh, named Johnny Hartman. Uh, who's done uh, a lot of work in the business, and uh, he has really thrown himself into this project. And he is, um, he, you know, among many things he does uh, for us, he is sort of in charge of writer outreach for oh. Keeper. So whether, whether you're a writer in games or a writer in you know, features or, or publishing or whatever you are, um, he's the guy in charge with, of, of kind of like finding out where you are and, uh, <laughs> and contacting you and letting you know what we're up to and kind of encouraging you to like, uh, yeah, support us. So, um, uh, and, and he obviously takes part, um, as, as do some of the other writers who were involved in this project with like any PR materials we do or stuff that we put on the website or on our Facebook page. Um, uh, they obviously are, are, are critical, uh, in, um, uh, in making sure that, uh, uh, the writing, the writing is good, but you know, in terms of other projects, I hear what you're getting at there. And, um, that's something that's a matter of ongoing discussion. It's like, how can we leverage the talent that we have? You know, we're, we're leveraging the voice talent uh, with this show at the Comedy Store. But yes, how do we leverage writer talent for this? Um, uh, and, uh, you know, that's, as I said, that's a matter of ongoing uh, conversation. And we're definitely uh, looking to do that. Um, but uh, we, haven't, we haven't landed on the perfect, uh, the perfect project yet. Well, we're really excited that you announced that on our podcast. Yeah, we're, cool. we're so happy to be, you know, helping you spread the word about it. Yes, no, literally, no one, no one knows about this except you now. <laughs> wow. Well, and our listeners. Hello, everybody. Now you know too. <laughs> what a great cause! So, 
Keeper, K-E-P-Y-R.org. Check it out. UNICEF for the tickets. And Grant, if people want to find you uh, personally, how can they contact you? Uh, I'm at grant at keeper.org. Uh, is my keeper email, and then uh, for other you know non-keeper related things, my professional email is grant.moran at globalmonstermedia.com. Cool, cool. So everybody, be sure you check it out. In October is the show. There'll be more details on their website. So go there. And Grant, thank you so much for taking the time yeah. with us. Thank you so much. <laughs>